Hi, everyone. This is Kyle from The Career Guide. And before we start our podcast today, I just wanted to say thanks for listening and subscribing. And I also wanted to make sure that you knew that we have a free community for graduates, young professionals, or really anyone that's interested in finding, starting, and managing their international career. So go ahead and check the link in the show notes, and you can join us inside the community where there's 130-plus members already striving to achieve their international career. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you inside the community. And now on to our podcast. It was always a choice. I mean, it's always a choice, right? And it's always a decision that you take. And the decision that I took was to follow my career path. And uh, I didn't, at that moment, I didn't choose to, let's say, share more or be more with certain uh, members of my family because I wanted to invest more in my professional career. Of course, it's not on a daily basis. So you Mm -hmm. make choices one day, another day, one day, another day, and you try to balance. But I know that I was much more focused on my professional life. Hey, everybody. This is the Career Guide Podcast. Brought to you by Capacity Building International and your host, Kyle King. If you've dreamed of working abroad and having an international career, this podcast is for you. Every episode is an interview with someone from the international community. We hear their stories, how they got started, and about their life and experiences while working abroad. Each episode will provide you with personal insights, tips, and strategies to help you launch your international career. We hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and sign up for our career newsletter so you don't miss out on your future and opportunities. Okay, so hi, everyone. Uh, Joining us today is Aline Pedra, who is currently a crime prevention and criminal justice officer at the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. Aline works in the fields of public diplomacy, oriented research, project development and management in the fields of migration, human trafficking, organized crime human security, gender violence, and victims' rights. She has worked for international organizations as a research expert and project manager for more than 10 years and has provided advice to NGOs, academic institutes, and foundations in the field of crime prevention, human security, migration, and human trafficking. Aline, thank you so much for joining us today and agreeing to share your own personal experiences and journey to an international career. My pleasure, Kyle. My pleasure. So one of the questions, um, kind of getting right into the, to the to the interview, but one of the questions that we get the most often, or at least that I personally get, and I'm sure you do as well, the number one question, and seems to be the most important topic for people looking to get to start an international career, and that is, how did you get started in your own personal international career? Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting question, because I don't even know where exactly I got started <laughs> because it, it, it's a very interesting. I mean, it's quite, quite funny even because um, I, I never wanted, let's say, I never wished for international career. So for me, it was something different. You know, it was maybe not from the very beginning, I wished an international career. So I just realized that an international career would be interesting when I moved to Switzerland to do my PhD. Before that, I was working in my own country, you know, uh, as a lawyer, a criminal lawyer, and I also coordinated a victims protection center. But I was always working in the field of human rights and, and, and protection and as a human rights defender. But then when I had the opportunity to, to do my PhD studies in Switzerland, 
I don't know, something kind of opened in front of my eyes and I saw the whole UN structure because I did my PhD in Switzerland. So I saw the whole possibility, you know, of getting closer to the UN because, you know, there is one headquarters of the United Nations in in Geneva. And I started searching more information about uh, UN organizations, particularly OHCHR. That's the first experience that I had with the UN. Uh, and then I, I just got fascinated. I was uh, 27 years old at that, at that point. I had already two masters. So maybe it was even quite uh, late, let's say, because I know that some people start in the international career right after start uh, finishing the university. They do UNV, they do UN uh, internships. And I did my first internship with the Human Rights Council in Geneva. When I was 27 and I was, you know, in parallel, I was uh, doing my PhD studies. So I got fascinated, you know, with all that I saw uh, in the Human Rights Council. I saw the countries discussing human rights issues, debating and even, you know, fighting between them. So I cannot forget, for example, the U.S. fighting the U.S. fighting with Cuba all the time. <laughs> And the EU always with that kind of uh, diplomatic, <laughs> very diplomatic uh, and cordial uh, way of speaking and Algeria fighting with France. So some things that were also even historical, you know, so I saw the humankind. So I really got fascinated by that. And that's when I said, yeah, that's what I want to work uh, uh, for life. I want to work at the UN system. And then I started digging into it and I started, you know, doing my way somehow within the international career, uh, kind of in the dark, you know, because I also didn't know exactly where to search for information and what to do. But uh, that was more or less like that I started. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing journey. Now, that that's quite interesting that you decided to do your PhD in another country. I mean, all, all the way in Europe. Uh, what was driving your decision to sort of take that chance? Or Yeah. That's interesting because that was in 2006 and I, sorry, 2004, sorry. And in my country, I'm, I'm originally from Brazil, we didn't have a PhD or a master's in criminology. We had master's and PhD in criminal law. And that was not enough because I realized at that point, I already realized that uh, the criminal law is not enough to deal with the crime problem you know. Mm -hmm. So I realized that at that point of my career. And I said, what am I doing here? I'm just, you know, kind of trying to, uh, there is a very funny expression in Portuguese that we say that we are just drying the ice, you know. We use this expression to say that, I mean, you are doing nothing, basically. Drying the ice means that you are doing nothing, you know. So, right. yeah, so I just said, I don't want to do nothing for the rest of my life. I want to work in the field of criminal law. But if I stay as a criminal lawyer, I will forever either defend the victims and there will be always more victims, or I will forever defend the criminals and there will be always more criminals, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, they're even at the same the same persons, because we're talking about human beings, right? We're just talking about labels that uh, people get in certain situations of their lives. So I said, why am I going to do this forever? I don't want to do this forever. And I think that criminology is the field that explains better, you know, the reasons 
behind every crime situation and even in terms of uh, mass crime, in terms of uh, mass victimization. So I think the criminology uh, explains very well. So I said, I want to do better and I want to do more for the humankind. So I just said, no, I want to do criminology because it's much broader, it's interdisciplinary and it explains better and it also aims to prevent crime. So that's why I wanted to do a PhD in criminology. And my first idea actually was to teach, to stay at the university as a lecturer or an assistant professor. And then somehow when I was doing my PhD, I got the opportunity to do voluntary work at a victim support center in Switzerland, uh, in in Lausanne, Centre Calavie. And then I had the opportunity to do this internship at the Human Rights Council. And then after some time, I started working with an NGO defending human rights. And that at that point, I was already I had already moved uh, to Austria for for personal reasons, actually. So mm-hmm. I just started kind of changing a little bit my path uh, from getting away from the academic world that I imagined that I would, you know, fit so well. <laughs> And then I I just started dealing with project development, project proposals, implementation of projects, sometimes research projects, but sometimes, uh, you know, training and coordination projects. So that's how I basically started started doing what I what I do until now, actually. Sure. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And so you moved overseas and then you you got into the PhD program and because you wanted to have a sort of this greater purpose in terms of what you were contributing to it, you know, sort of a global international society. Was it hard for you to sort of get started? I mean, now that you had made this decision that you didn't want to go through academia, was it challenging for you to sort of get started in and trying to find your way? Yes, it was challenging. But more than challenging, I think it was so exciting and so new. And in spite of all the difficulties, I just kept going. I just wanted more of it, you know. I think it's also important maybe to mention uh, the financial aspects of it because I was uh, working in my home, in my hometown. I had, you know, kind of enough income. I had my mm-hmm. own my own apartment, even at the age of uh, 26, I had my own apartment, even in my hometown mm-hmm. that I, I paid with my my own income, you know, that was not because of my parents gave to me or something like that. Of course, right. I always had the support of my parents because I was still living with my parents at that point. But I have my I had my own place. And I think that that was uh, more difficult to me because I had to kind of uh, change a paradigm. I basically just uh, moved from a very stable and comfortable situation as a professional that was kind of, you know, almost established in my own hometown. And I mean, I could, of course, get better, but it will always be at that same level, let's say. I would not maybe work in a, in another country if I had done my if I hadn't done my 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 PhD abroad. So I just kind of decided to, you know, break everything kind of. I just decided to really kick the bucket. But there was this, let's say, this um uh, challenge which was to kind of get back to students' life because I had get to get back to students' life. So then I started living with uh, a scholarship. I managed to get a scholarship from the Brazilian government. That's also important to mention because the scholarships from the Brazilian government are less and less nowadays. 
But sure. at that at, at that moment, I managed to get a scholarship to do my PhD, and that was a very important support. But still, it was you know kind of student life so that was challenging you know for me mm-hmm. uh, but it was a, a life decision let's say uh, I just left my comfort zone to open up other ways or, and other doors in the future but I also have to mention that I was privileged because I always had let's say the best in terms of education that my parents could afford so I was not living in luxury and I was not you know my parents were not buying everything all the time that we wanted Mm. but they always invested in our education we had three at home actually so I have two sisters and they always invested uh, in our education the most that they could and uh, for that I am very thankful also in terms of language they always said that you know you have to study English you cannot miss your English lessons you have to continue so they really pushed me to learn English let's say my first second language was English you know now I know French Mm -hmm. I know German I know Turkish and I speak a little bit of Spanish because of um, of my Portuguese my mother Mm -hmm. tongue but that was the first uh, important things. One of the, let's say, important things that they taught me. They said you need to learn other languages, and if you are in the international career, you have to learn other languages. You know, so that was also because of, let's say, their investment uh, uh, in me. And I don't know. I was privileged because uh, I was in a, let's say, uh, uh, from a family that was not rich, was not wealthy. But they were always concerned with uh, quality education uh, for all of us, for the three of us. So whatever they could do. So, of course, maybe we would not spend our holidays somewhere, but we would always have the money to pay for private education for us. Because, you know, the public system is still nowadays in my country is not the best, unfortunately. So they had to invest in private education. And then when I went to the university, that's a logic that is a bit inversed in Brazil. So I did public university, let's say. I went to a public university and these are the best in, in, mm-hmm. in my country. So I managed to get to get into a public university because I had studied in a private <laughs> school, you know, so it's a completely in, inverse, let's say, logic, but that's how I could get the best education at that, uh, at that uh, let's say, moment of history. And, you know, I, I think it's important to say that I was privileged and not everyone mm-hmm. has the, the, the same opportunity, you know. No, absolutely. I think that's absolutely correct. I think that there's, um, and, and I, you know, I've done, I think nearly 200 interviews with people in the last year, just to talk to them about sort of getting their experiences started towards an international career. And everybody's coming from very different and diverse backgrounds. And there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of, you know, socioeconomic conditions and everything else that go behind that as well. Everybody's sort of in the same conditions in terms of they want to be able to work for an international organization, but everybody, there are different groups of people that have accessibility to the international organizations and the positions. And so I, I think there's certain, there is a, a certain amount of, if we might call that privilege or availability and, and opportunity for people that's not equally distributed out there yes. in terms of, and, and it's, it's really, it, it's quite interesting. It's quite a complex and challenging Thing. I mean, especially in the United Nations, when they open a you know one position and can get four thousand applications, it's just an indicator of of sort of this what I call a value arrangement in terms of international organizations. They have so much value 
for, for applicants who want to work internationally that they can open one position and get 4,000 applications. You know, it's just kind of crazy yeah. in that way that they have so mm-hmm. much value that they they can simply just not even have an advertising budget for it, you know? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you mentioned something that was really quite interesting, which was you mentioned sort of the financial aspect and being, let's just say, resilient in terms yes. of mm-hmm. making that career move. And I think that's incredibly important to think about. It's not just personal resilience, but I think it's also an issue of, you know, having worked internationally myself for over 20 years, it's an issue of, you're having to do all sort of the planning and the, the financial aspects all for yourself. You know, the, mm-hmm. there is not one defined career path. So maybe if you could just kind of give your insights on that, how have you managed to work through your international career, having to do everything yourself in terms of planning your next steps and your financial, you know, not necessarily going into finances, but, you know, the idea of you have to be responsible for yourself in every single facet and direction of having your career. Yeah, I mean, you, you make choices. So, mm. I mean, I remember that I had to buy a pair of shoes. I think twice I would need to purchase the best price, you know, such such kind of things that nowadays they sound so far away to me. But still, I mean, nowadays I have this psychology because I still today, <laughs> I think twice when I buy anything, you know, <laughs> because mm. I know how difficult it is to have that you know, cash. So that also taught me a lot about how to consume, you know, how to, how to be careful, you know? I mean, I was kind of, kind of before that I was kind of uh, making uh, nice, uh, nice income. I was single. So I, I was living with my parents for so kind of buy whatever I wanted, you know? And then somehow it's uh, completely changed my my life you know and then i realized how you you should you know you should really be careful with whatever you you consume but also thought about it and it's doable you know then what do you think i mean and especially when you have a purpose when you have an objective in mind so i had the objective to finish my studies to to continue living in europe and then for some reason also a uh, personal reason uh, i lived in europe for almost 5 years and then i decided to move back to brazil and then i i kept on working at the un system when i was in brazil but that experience that first experience in europe let's say taught me a lot you know and that's what you have to take uh, for life you know so you really have to how can i say to have a, a main objective in your mindset so that's what i had i think in in mind i had the main objective and i just I just followed and i completely changed i mean my really my 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 lifestyle in several terms i mean as i was telling you i was privileged i was really privileged i'm not going to say here that oh i had a very difficult you know childhood and as a young person it was hard etc that was not my case i had a very good life living standards because my my parents were they they were working very hard to to give the best that they could uh, to us and then suddenly i was in a situation that i had to do everything uh, on my own and to leave from my my my, my scholarship although i could always ask my parents in case of, you know of of emergency 
but I didn't want to, let's say, not to burden them. And also, I think that's what they taught me, you know, basically. But I had, you know, this kind of, uh, let's say, spirit. I had this objective in, in mind. And then I just kept going. And then, uh, of course, because I was working hard and I was also studying very hard. I was always a very hard worker, you know, even when, when I was at school, at the university, I was always a, a very hard worker. So I kept studying hard and then I kept, you know, finding good uh, positions and I applied and I got uh, these positions. I think that it's not only also a matter of education, formation, I mean, what you study, what you, what you, what you learn from school or, for, or from university particularly, but it's also a matter of what you learn from life. So I was mm. exposed to different experiences since my childhood. Uh, I always moved. I moved a lot with with my parents, and uh, maybe I'm talking too much about my my parents now because my mom has just arrived <laughs> two days no. ago, so she's here now in Vienna with me, and it's kind of coming all back. You know how it is important. You know how they were important to me, and they are they are important to me. So uh, they exposed me to to lots of different situations in general terms for example from travels from luxury luxurious places to you know very uh, vulnerable places and 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 difficult even difficult situations that they were always uh, close to me and next to me so they exposed me to various experiences from my childhood so that's also that that also built and helped uh, me to go through everything I've been through professionally and, and, and personally um, but professionally definitely it helped me a lot you know to have kind of this flexibility to deal with different situations at the workplace as well to manage projects even you know you have you have to adapt to different situations maybe to emergency situations and to things that are not planned you have to think about risks you know so i think that that also helped me a lot no that's very true i think we are sort of the sum of our experiences and and as i often tell many people it comes down to your story you know and sort of your your own career path your story and your personal experiences and how it shaped you and how it makes you, you yeah know, you cannot put aside right mm-hmm. yeah you cannot i mean we are one like we are human beings and we are one we cannot separate you know like this is me, Alini, professional. This is me, Alini, personal, you know. Uh, mm. We try to put everything in its right box wherever we are, you know. But it, it is cross-cutting, you know. You mm. cannot be that, you know, only personal, only professional. It, it cannot be like this, you know. I think that one of the things that I often tell people, especially when, when they look at the career management side of an international career, is, is sort of exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, we have our own identity, we have our own story, and it's not necessarily connected to the position that we're in with that organization, mm-hmm. because, you know, people tend to rotate quite a bit through international organizations, changing positions, changing, you know, different profiles, portfolios, things like that. You know, do you see an independent identity as far as from who you are versus your position? You know, so you have your sort of your own career professional, and you're just working in your position now. Or do you connect those two more closely together? Or do you sort of have your own identity as a career professional? No, I think now, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And now I think that I am in the the best uh, case scenario that I could ever be because uh, that's exactly 
where I wanted to be, you know. Uh, so I really feel that uh, what I do professionally complements and adds to my own self as a person, you know. So mm. it, it's really amazing how is that possible, but it, <laughs> it is possible, you know, and, and, and it, it, it is in, in, in this moment uh, of my career because I'm happy that I quit this idea of following the academic world, purely academic world. I like teaching, I like lecture, lecturing. Actually, at my uh, current post, I do a lot of training. But I would never be happy only as a lecturer, only as an assistant professor or a professor at, at the university, you know. And you can hear, you know, all the sound that is outside because that's life, you know. So there are kids playing outside sure, in sure. my house right now. <laughs> so maybe you can hear all that <laughs> during the interview. Uh, so uh, I think, yeah, this is really me uh, as a person and, and as a professional, you know, I, I'm really, I'm passionate for what I do. I think that's also important to mention that that costed me personally, because I know that I, I at some moments I was much less with my family that I could be, that I wanted to be, or that even I should be, you know. Particularly, let's mm -hmm. say, my ex-partner, you know, I'm talking about my, really my personal life now. But it was always a choice. I mean, it's always a choice, right? And it's always mm -hmm. a decision that you take. And the decision that I took was to follow my career path. And uh, I didn't, at that moment, I didn't choose to, let's say, share more or be more with certain uh, members of my family because I wanted to invest more in my professional career. Of course, it's not on a daily basis. So you mm -hmm. make choices one day, another day, one day, another day, and you try to balance. But I know that I was much more focused on my professional life. So it's a choice. Maybe not that much, for example, in terms of uh, caring for my children, because in that case, I think that I tried to be the less absent that I could as possible mm -hmm. but still I know other mothers that they could be much more with their their children and uh, I had to travel for example when they were five months old or when they were I don't know two or one so I had to start working when they were I was breastfeeding for example when I was working you know and there are other women that's also a gender issue you know that is inter interesting to mention because I yeah, know women that uh, they just, you know, give birth and then they have, you know, the mm -hmm. the possibility of staying home for like one month, one year, even two years sometimes taking care of their own babies. And I regret that I could not have that time. Uh, mm. I could not have, actually. I mean, not only that I didn't choose to have, but because I also had to care for my own family financially. So I could not have, you know, so it's both, you know. So that's also maybe important to highlight. Uh, maybe today I could, I could, I, I can have the choice. Now I can have the choice. You know, now I can say that I'm now in that position. So now I can say that, yeah, I can choose to, you know, sometimes do that this trip. Don't do, don't do the other trip to stay with them. I can choose when I'm gonna take my my leave, so I can take my leaves when they are on holidays as well. But that wasn't always not always like that. Yeah, and that and that takes time to get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they are already so old. So <laughs> I, yeah, sure. I had my children when I was my first child when I was uh, 32. But 
for others, maybe if you have a, ch a child before that age, then they are just, you know, already teenagers and that's when they don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Well, this is something that I think is often sort of misunderstood as well in terms of, you know, the international career space is, you know, we have this, mm -hmm. when people look at United Nations, they think about New York or they look at, you know, OSCE and they think of, you know, Vienna and, and other organizations in Vienna as well. But they always think about sort of the headquarters positions, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they when oftentimes they're missing all these field positions. But there is a sacrifice that occurs. You know, if you decide to go work in Somalia, <laughs> for example, you know, you're limiting your access to normal life. You have yes. you know, significant mm -hmm. travel that takes mm -hmm. place. And, and in terms of, you know, even I've done it, I was just two weeks on leave myself just came back to a, to a mission and it's difficult. It's difficult to leave your family and come back and you have to have sort of this overall, you know, objectives, career objectives you want to achieve. And I, yes. you have to also have a clear idea of where you want to go. I think as well, like you can't do it forever, you know? Yes. So yes. you also yes. have to sort of plan out your career a bit more. And so yeah, have yeah. you have you found that sort of challenging in planning your own personal career while being in an international organization? Is it difficult knowing where you're going to be in five years, 10 years or whatever the case is? Yeah. Yeah. Also, again, from the uh, personal uh, aspects, because, I mean, if you have a partner, then you also have to match with the job of your partner, you know, right. with your partner's yes. life. So it's double difficult you know mm -hmm. so of course and then i was always trying to kind of match and find uh, you know to be together and to find in the same city or in the same country sometimes and it was not always possible but i mean for some time we managed and then after that uh, we also divorced so <laughs> that's why i'm saying you know you do sacrifices i mean you also sacrifice sometimes your personal life you know Uh, mm. so it is, it is quite hard to, to, to conciliate, conciliate. It, it's really hard to conciliate, you know, in terms of planning, I had this, uh, let's say goal in mind and I applied several times to, you know, DC in Vienna. So I didn't apply once and I got the post. I've been applying for more than five years to work mm -hmm. for the UNODC in Vienna. And I, meanwhile, of course, I took other positions, I did other jobs, and I only uh, improved in terms of, you know, experiences in my CV. Mm -hmm. And also I diversified a lot. So I managed to work uh, in Brazil, of course. Uh, as I, So I did my PhD in Switzerland. I worked in Austria. I moved back to Brazil. I worked in Brazil. I worked in, the, in, in South America, I mean, in bordering countries. Uh, then I moved to Turkey and then I lived in Turkey. And then I worked also in Egypt remotely. You know, but but still, the office was in Cairo. So I tried to diver diversify as much as I could. So I was also very much looking for opportunities and trying to fit my experience and my language skills because that's also very important when you apply to a post to to that specific position that I was you know seeing that was advertised. But I I had always. I always had in mind that I wanted to to work at UNODC in Vienna. Always had that in mind. And then I applied mm -hmm. many times. I applied several times. And in the last year, let's say, because I joined recently, actually, March last year, I joined. Oh, sorry, March this year, I joined UNODC. I worked for UNODC before uh, in Brazil and for other UN organizations in Brazil. 
But in the last uh, year, I did, I mean, many applications, you know. So it's also mm -hmm. a matter of being resilient, as you said. I really applied many times. I think I, I did more than 20 applications. And I did like 10 assessments, more or less, because I was not always called for each application. I was not always uh, invited to the assessment. Mm -hmm. And I was invited to, let's say, seven or five interviews, you know. And then in mm -hmm. the last interview, actually, when I, I, I said, no, I just want to go back to my hometown. I'm going to live by the sea. I'm going to sell coconuts. I was, you know, kind of really... <laughs> Your contingency said, you plan. Know, yeah, I took, cannot take this anymore, you know. I was really, really tired. And then they just <laughs> they just called me, you know. They, they made, made an offer and they said, you know, look, I mean, we want you to take this position and they made the offer. So it was really interesting, you know, because I really insisted a lot, you know. I really did. And the, the more you do the assessments that may be an advice, the more you get uh, uh, used to it and accustomed to it and you understand the mm -hmm. logic of the machine and then you get closer to the post. So I think mm -hmm. the, uh, divers diversification is very important in terms of experience and also really understanding what they are expecting from you. The way they, the UN does the assessment and mm -hmm. the, in the, inter the interview is really uh, what they will expect from you while performing. Mm. So it's not only important, I mean, maybe if you see a uh, short-term, let's say, vision, you will think uh, that's for me to pass, but that's not. That's for you to do the job on a long-term basis. So either you really fit and you really manage to do the assessment and the interview and pass, or you will not perform well. That's the point, you know. So that's why there is the circuit criteria um, when they are doing the assessments and, and the interviews. So I really think that's what they need from you to perform on a daily basis. Yeah, that's true. And then I often ask people just use job market data is what I call it. But basically, look at the vacancy announcement because there's no real sort of lies inside there, right? Like the hiring manager like when I publish a vacancy announcement, like the hiring manager is writing down what they want you to do. Yes. You know, uh -huh. There's no real secrets there. It's And so mm -hmm. you need to tailor your application in that way and yeah. also pay attention to the competencies. Because once you actually get into the interview, your entire job, quote unquote, during that interview is to make the hiring manager feel comfortable that you can do the job. Yes. And uh -huh. that you can solve their problems. And so yes. for that reason, just logically, there's no sort of secrets in the vacancy announcement. That's like actually the people they're looking for, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, because uh -huh. it's a specific vision of a person in mind who's going to be able to come in and do the job itself. Yeah. But it's, it's a, how can I say, it's a very rational, but at the same time, it's it's a process of self-investment because the applications, they take a lot of, of, of your time. They take a lot Very of your time. So. so you really need to, you know, be willing. And uh, that's really what you want to do for your life, for your professional life. If it's not, then, you know, just even don't apply because we're just putting more applications for the... <laughs> For the HR to try to filter, basically, you know. Right. <laughs> so this is really, really, uh, definitely, as you mentioned, you know. And that's you have I, to have this passion, you know. You have to look at the vacancy. Basic, it, it, it is like this. You have to look at the vacancy and you have to see yourself doing that job and being happy. 
you know, you yeah, have to feel yeah. like that you are not working. You are not, it's not work, you know, kind of this, uh, just this uh, concept of work. Oh my God, I have to go, go to work. No, it, it, it's really fun. So I wake up happy every day to go to work, you know, although I know that some days it's, it's really uh, shit. Nothing works. Nothing goes on, nothing, no moves. And there are lots of problems, but I, I, I have passion for what I do. Right. And and that's really good. And that's great. And I think that's where our sort of personal lives and our professional life connect when you can get to that space. That's um, mm -hmm. and then we're start to then we can sort of have this identity about ourselves to where anything that you're doing now is also sort of cross cutting across any organization you're with. Right. And so that's, I think, the ideal place that we need to be and, and where we can really start to consider ourselves as basically international career professionals, right? Because what you're doing in one organization is applicable mm -hmm. to many organizations because you're accustomed and you're used to the environment and the way things work. And we all have budgets and we all have stakeholders and nations to deal with. You know, you get used to these environments and yes. these mechanisms of international work to where now at the point that you're describing, it's like everything has now come together and you're sort of universally these skills can go anywhere that you want. It's, it is, like you said, it's an investment of time, especially when you're trying to get mm -hmm. started. And I think that people really mm -hmm. do have to be resilient and, and be prepared to just invest a lot of time and be patient in order to get started. But I, I, my last question mm -hmm. for you, Alina, and I think is one of the questions I ask basically everybody is, if you were going to start over, what would you do differently? Mm -hmm. I would um, wish for someone like me or you <laughs> to give these advices <laughs> because really I was you know it was completely dark when I started it was completely dark and I know I let's say I'm I managed to get uh, to this position that I wanted so much at the age of 44 because I had not enough information I could have done that before because I had enough qualifications but I didn't have enough information to get there Maybe I would have studied another language, you know, even earlier. I would have studied French much, much before. Uh, I would have studied French in parallel with English. That would also help me to, to get closer and to tailor my professional career. Okay. Well, you know, thank you so much for your time, Melina. I thought it was um, really nice to talk to you and to sort of, you know, it was great for you to share your perspectives and your experiences of working internationally. And I think it's just really valuable to hear from so many different people and, and to, you know, sort of have this shared understanding of what we're all going through as we have these international careers. And of course, pass that information on to people that want to, to come after us, you know, and, and to, mm -hmm. to work in the, you know, start their careers and their own international journey. So thank you so much for joining us today. And, and uh, it was really great to have you here. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm happy to participate. <laughs>